On this first Sunday of Advent, we're going to be focusing our attention on one of the central characters in the uh, story of Christmas, Mary. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 26 and following as we think about the role that, uh, crucial role that Mary played in the story of Christmas that we celebrate during this Advent season. Luke 1, beginning the reading at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is described in the Bible as a devout Jewish girl who lived in Nazareth, probably in her mid-teens, and engaged to a man by the name of Joseph. Betrothal in that particular day was much more serious than engagement in our day. Betrothal was almost on a, on a level with marriage because vows had to be spoken Total commitment was absolutely essential during that period of betrothal. In order to break a betrothal, a divorce proceeding had to be entered into. Betroth persons referred to one another as husband and wife, and they had to be absolutely loyal and faithful to each other, and if they were not, they would be regarded as guilty of adultery. And according to the Old Testament law, being guilty of adultery made you liable to the possibility of death. 
Mary and Joseph's betrothal called for a solemn commitment that was made in public, an oral commitment made with witnesses to attest to the agreement that they had entered into. Sometimes financial pledges or written pledges were also included in that agreement, and it ended with a benediction of praise and thanksgiving to God. We don't know a lot about the background of Mary. There is a second century apocalyptic infancy narrative called the First Gospel of James. And this book is not included in the New Testament canon, and so we don't know for sure just how accurate the details of this particular story about Mary are. But according to this book, Mary was the child of elderly parents who were named Joachim and Anna. They lived in the city of Jerusalem. And that would be in accord with the teaching that we find in Luke chapter 1, verse 36, which indicates the priestly connections that Mary had. Because Elizabeth was in the lineage of Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. The greatest weight of the early church history and tradition would incline us to believe that Mary went from Jerusalem to live in the town of Nazareth. What we do know for certain is that this young Jewish woman was a virgin, and she was betrothed to Joseph. Luke records this in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was deeply troubled. She wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. The angel alerted her to the fact that she had found favor with God. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary was stunned by this word from the angel. And she has some questions that she needs answered. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel replied by saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Then the angel went on to tell how Mary's relative Elizabeth, who was barren and elderly, would also have a child, for no word from the Lord will ever fail. And Mary responded by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And you can imagine what must have been going on in the mind of this young woman. She had heard her parents talk about unwed mothers. Jewish teenagers got pregnant in the first century in the same way that American teenagers get pregnant in the 21st century. 
it made sense that she would go to visit her relative Elizabeth, who lived some 80 miles away in the hill country of Judea. They spent some time together. And upon Mary's arrival, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she sensed that the baby in her womb was leaping with joy. And with a loud voice, Elizabeth proclaimed these words that have become etched in Christian tradition. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And to this, Mary responded in the words that are etched in the history of Christendom. They are called the Magnificat. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. And so the story unfolds. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for approximately three months, and then she returned back to Nazareth. And then we come to that very familiar portion of the narrative where a decree came from Caesar Augustus that a census had to be taken And Joseph took Mary to Bethlehem. As we know, they were unable to find a place to stay. And so the baby had to be born in a stable area. The shepherds came to see the message that had been referred to them by the angels. And the word spread around that something tremendously great and important had happened in Bethlehem. However, as far as Mary is concerned, we don't hear a great deal more about him for quite a while. But there is one powerful sentence in this gospel story in Luke chapter 2 that reflects on Mary and who she was. Luke writes, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. We don't see a great deal more of Mary in the writings of the Gospels. We do know that she was present at Jesus' circumcision on the eighth day when he was taken to the temple. And in her own purification and presentation of the baby in the temple at Jerusalem when Jesus was 40 days old. We know that they fled the wrath of Herod when Herod threatened to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem, and they went to Egypt. And then when it was finally safe for them to return, they went back to the town of Nazareth, where Jesus was presented in the temple in Jerusalem at the age of 12. Then there's a reference to Mary also at the wedding feast in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. 
And there are a few references to Mary in casual comments made by Jesus as he taught his disciples. The final and most impressive account of Mary given in the Gospels comes when she was standing beneath the cross of her son Jesus. And you know how Jesus committed her to the beloved disciple John, and John was entrusted with taking care of her because Joseph, her husband, by this time was no longer alive. Given that brief survey of what we know about Mary as it comes to us through the record of the Gospels, what are some of the lessons that you and I can learn from the life of Mary? The first lesson I want to call to your attention is this. This is a word for young people. God uses young people. Sometimes young people are more sensitive to spiritual matters and make themselves more available to be used by God than older people do. This was certainly the case of Mary. Contrast her with Zechariah. Both of them were eminent in character, persons of exemplary conduct. Both of them were confronted by the angel Gabriel. In those two ways, they were similar. But notice the contrast. Zechariah was a mature, established priest of God. Mary was a lowly, young, teenage girl. Zechariah had given himself to prayer in the temple, praying for the promised Messiah to come. And I doubt that Mary thought a great deal about praying for the promised Messiah. That wasn't part of her lifestyle at that point in time. But notice the distinction between the two. When Zechariah received the message from the angel, he had doubts. He questioned the message that he heard. Mary, on the other hand, when she heard the message from Gabriel, believed what Gabriel told her in spite of the difficulties that that might involve for her. She may have been young, but she wasn't stupid. She knew that taking on the responsibility of becoming the mother of Jesus was not going to be an easy task. It's no small thing to be the mother of our Lord. And she realized that People would be talking when they found out that she was pregnant, even though Joseph and her had not yet been married. There are those today who scoff at the idea of the virgin birth, thinking that this is just a story that is made up. And if that's true of people today, how much more true may it have been in that time in Nazareth in the first century? Imagine Joseph and Mary trying to go about their lifestyle and their relationship in a way that is faithful and in accordance with the teachings of the Word of God, knowing that people may be talking about them, raising questions about their sincerity, questioning whether they had been involved in activities that were not appropriate. Imagine the conversations that she and Joseph heard. Imagine the fears that she may have had, that Joseph would 
be tempted to leave her when she found out, when he found out that she was pregnant, that he would abandon her and leave her alone to raise this child all by herself in a society that had little room for illegitimacy or out-of-wedlock parenthood. But far from letting this destroy her, the response of Mary is something that is marvelous to behold. Her response was this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. God throughout history has worked in the lives of young people. Another Joseph, 1,800 years earlier, was a young man when he was sold into slavery. You know the story of how his brothers conspired against him and, and decided to sell him as a slave. And Joseph became enslaved in a foreign land, but he still remained true to his God, even though Potiphar's wife betrayed him and accused him of things that were not true. Languishing in an Egyptian prison, the months went by. And how tempted Joseph must have been to repudiate the God of his great-grandfather Abraham and his grandfather Isaac and his father Jacob. But he didn't do that. He remained faithful to God, and God used him to interpret dreams. And as a consequence of that, he was elevated to a position of supremacy in Egypt and had a profound effect upon both the nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt because God used him as a young man in a mighty way to accomplish and fulfill his purpose. Or think of another young man by the name of Daniel. Hundreds of years later, Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Judea, had laid siege to Jerusalem, had ripped away from their families some of the finest young men that were available and had taken them into captivity in Babylon. The easy way would have been to go native, to make a career out of the new opportunities and challenges that lay ahead for him to turn what was a negative situation into a positive one. But Daniel was loyal and faithful to his God. The scripture says that Daniel's faith was so strong that he determined in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. In other words, he would remain kosher because he believed that God's ways were the best ways, whether he was in Jerusalem or whether he was in Babylon. He would remain faithful to his God. And when he was commanded not to pray to anyone other than the king, Daniel opened his window and prayed to his God in spite of the command that was given to him. He wanted to honor his commitment and his dedication, and he did it with the window open so people would know, and as a consequence, he was thrown into a den of lions, but God rescued him and elevated him to a position of supremacy, and God used him in a mighty way. The Apostle Paul writes to a, a young pastor named Timothy and urges him to let no one despise him because of his youth. Check out church history and you will find that even as God has used young men and women 
throughout history. He continues to do that in our day as well. Billy Graham was only 30 years old when he had his first evangelistic crusade in Los Angeles. He was 86 years old when he had his last evangelistic crusade. And he died at the age of 99. Think of 69 years of faithfulness as God took a young man dedicated to doing what God was calling him to do, mellowed him into old age, and then continued to use him into what for many people would be the post-retirement years of his life. Or take the story of Jesus himself. The God of the universe who came down from heaven took upon himself the form of a human being and was crucified on a cross when he was only 33 years old. Young man, young woman, God wants to use you now. And God will use you if you, like Mary, are willing to be available to him. Secondly, a word to people who need and want to know more. God is willing to teach you. Whereas Zechariah wanted a sign to prove that the message he heard from the angel was true. Mary didn't ask for a sign. She just wanted some more information. She wanted to know more. She knew that virgins didn't get pregnant. And so she wanted to know how this could possibly be. How could she be the mother of God? An angel explained it to her. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be the Son of God. They were answered by Gabriel, putting her in touch with her relative Elizabeth and spending some time with her and having Elizabeth confirm the fact that Mary was indeed going to be the mother of Jesus. And her questions were answered by her previous study of the Old Testament scriptures and her ongoing study of what the Old Testament scriptures said about the coming Messiah. And you can make a direct parallel to the Christian life. There are some people who have accepted Jesus as their savior, but they simply leave it at that. They don't immerse themselves in the teachings of Scripture and the promises of God. And sometimes they don't even know what those promises are. And as a consequence, they are confused by every wind of doctrine that comes their way. They don't know the difference between historic Christianity and some Christian cult or some anti-Christian religion or philosophy because for them the Bible is a closed book. They don't expose themselves to ongoing education in the Word of God. This person is a professional, professed believer, but certainly not a professional Christian. Just as there wouldn't be much professional about a doctor who never went to medical school, or, or even if he did, didn't make any effort to keep up to date on the details that are involved in that particular profession. 
Mary was a young a girl who was a student of the Word of God. She knew the Old Testament scriptures. Her life was not marked by biblical ignorance, but biblical knowledge. How do we know that? Because in that song of Mary that she sang, the song that we call the Magnificat, Mary breaks forth into words that are taken from the Old Testament scriptures, from 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10, where Hannah, some 1,000 years before, became the mother of the prophet Samuel. Mary was willing to be teachable, and she found the Old Testament scriptures to be helpful, and as a consequence, she joined in praise to God using some of the very language that Hannah had used about a thousand years earlier. And notice finally that God often functions in quiet ways. Mary was a young woman of deepening understanding. She had a vision of God's redemptive work. The Bible tells us in Luke 2, but Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Whereas Zechariah was speechless because of his unbelief and refusal to believe the promise of the angel. Mary's speechless ecstasy was focused and centered on God, and she adored the promises that were given to her by God himself. She was caught up in ecstasy and praise. And that's quite a contrast to our active, activistic society in which we live in today because we are so often involved in commotion rather than devotion. There's a time and a place for quiet, deep reflection. And Mary gave herself to that. Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Let me emphasize the importance of doing that during this Advent season. Take some time to do what Mary did, to ponder on these things, to reflect upon them, to dwell upon them, and to let them influence and affect our lives. And may I go a step further and suggest that you take some time during this Advent season to do that every day. Take some time every day during this Advent season to get alone with God. Read, out, read a passage from the scriptures that reflect upon God's word and will for your life. Have a devotional book that you can read along with the scriptures that will help you to understand and reflect upon the Bible's teaching. And then have a time of prayer, musing upon what God has done for you, what God can do in you, and what God is desirous of doing through you. But let me warn you, if you and I do not take the time to quietly meditate and deepen ourselves in the things of God, the secular materialistic society in which we live will gradually and even subtly destroy us. 
God came into this world through the womb of a sensitive teenage girl who was willing to grow in the things of God and who spent time treasuring these things and pondering them in her heart. And in the quiet setting of a stable in Bethlehem, by the miracle of the virgin birth, the eternal Son of God took on human flesh and blood and identified with you and me except for sin so that he might become our Savior. The Messiah came as a baby. Perhaps he helped his father Joseph in the construction shop that his father had. And he eventually became an itinerant rabbi, traveling and teaching and preaching the word of God. And 33 years later, he rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. And his greatest act of triumph was to be crucified, bearing your sin and my sin on the cross, so that we, through faith in him, might have the assurance of sins forgiven and life everlasting. So in this Advent season, may I encourage you to follow the example of Mary. Think about these things. Treasure them and ponder them in your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Christmas, for the miraculous way in which the Son of God left his home in heaven and through the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary was able to take upon himself human flesh and blood so that he might perfectly fulfill the law of God in every way and go on to Calvary to pay the price for our sins on Calvary's cross so that each of us might put our hope and trust in him and have the assurance that by believing him in in Jesus as our Savior, we can know that our sins are washed away and eternal life will be our inheritance in glory. 